10 years, three boys, one question, are we friends? Kyrate, my peripatetic pals, welcome to Are We Friends? I am your toga totem co-host, Taylor. I am your co-co-host, Brian. And I'm Jorge. And this is the show where three little philosophers go through their interests one at a time to see if they are actually still friends anymore, or if they will just be trapped in another dialectic. This week, <coughs> we are talking about a topic of mine. Um, we yeah. have done two philosophy episodes on this podcast over our two years, and both of them have been Plato, so I thought it's about time to move on. Socrates. So immediately to Aristotle. No, it's just like, we're going to make right. incremental steps, and then 25 years or so... I don't know. We'll get to like Seneca. <laughs> you know, like, we'll slowly make our way there. You know? Forty years will hit. Leibniz. I was hoping for a regression. To be I know, right? Yeah, we'll just do the pre-Socratics, which is another fascinating one. Cause, Please, I can't. I, like, there's no way. Oh, dude. <laughs> well, a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of it is lost. But I think I told you guys the story when we did our first philosophy episode. Um, but do you guys know the uh, the story of Thales and the vineyards? Nope. Not off the top of my head. So Thales is a pre-Socratic, believed everything was made of water. That's the fundamental particle. Hey. Whatever. But, you know, I mean, apart from his goofball ideas, I mean, he, uh, he's super famous for um, proving, like someone said, like, philosophy is fucking useless. And he goes, you bet it's not. And he goes, yeah, but you bet you can't make a dime off philosophy. So he just tracked weather patterns for a couple of years, knew that a harvest was going to be really good, and rented out a whole bunch of vineyards and made a fortune in one season. Like, yeah, so (laughs) philosophy is useful. Now I'm going to get back to truth, justice, and the things that I think matter because money is dumb. And then, like, threw his drachma on the ground or whatever and, like, walked out. Wow. Pretty wide wide definition of philosophy there, though, right? Yeah, because before it's um, before we like it's about water, so he bifurcate it into <laughs> science, um, and like philosophy, philosophy somehow being constricted to like ontology or epistemology or mm-hmm. moral philosophy. Like it was all until really like oh the nineteenth century, maybe the Enlightenment. Uh, it was all philosophy. It was just natural philosophy or like moral philosophy, philosophy of war or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that philosophy. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It just used to be all encompassing. Think about stuff. <laughs> and science as its own study, as something that people wanted to separate out, scientist is a very recent word. In English, at least. I don't know. Maybe other people had made that distinction before. It, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> cool. So why did you pick the yeah. uh, the poetics? What got you? What got your mind? Right, over that's here? what the topic. So that the topic is not Aristotle. Uh, in total, it's just, it's a very short work of his called The Poetics. And what The Poetics is about is tragedy. What is tragedy? What makes good tragedy? And what makes tragedy different from epic, say? Because they're both, like, poetical forms. Mm. Um, so there's a couple things I definitely, I have this whole episode for us kind of marked out and things that I want to talk about. Do we agree or disagree? But first question, did yeah. you read it? Yes. yes. Well, wait, I, I mean, I well, listened to the audio of the whole thing. Okay, I'm going to be very surprised to see, like, oh, I'm very interested to see, like, what that was like and what you took from it, because uh, I've never tried to listen to something like Aristotle. Um, but yeah, Brian, what do you think of it? Like, first impressions? I thought it was, okay. And did so, you read it? I yeah, did. Sorry, that was my first question. Did you yes. read it? I'm skipping The questions. answer is yes, I did read it. Okay, I back to Jorge. Listened. What was your first impression? Yeah. 
Oh. Um, wait in line, Brian. <laughs> Quick, here we go. You shut the fuck up. This is the economy of words here. We only have so many. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty neutral right now. I oh. didn't think much of it one way or the other. I mean, it's it's like a, it's an opinion on a, a type of art that I don't have a lot of interaction with. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just data to me right now. You know, I need to... <laughs> Needs to open up discussion for me to have an, anywhere to build an opinion off of right now. Okay, yeah. What's no, your opinion on the number five million four hundred seventy-six thousand three hundred and eighty-two? Uh, too too high. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. That was the right answer. And I hope to change. Uh, I hope to change your mind on that one. We'll see you by the end of this episode. What about Brian? Um, apart from incredibly uh, large numbers, what did you think of the incredibly no, large sentences I, that Aristotle gives us? I some of this shit is. Just like I'm a big dumb idiot with no brain in his head, and I just like fall apart at the sentence structure of a lot of these things. But like broad strokes, oh, this is super. This is super helpful and super good for people who want to make things in art. You a hundred percent, you should fucking read this. Like it is very good. Also, he's a fucking fanboy, and I'll get into it before. But I love that oh, he's yeah. just an opinionated little fanboy who's oh, just yeah. scribbling down his notes and stuff. <laughs> this is super good. This is stupid. I don't like this. This is good though. <laughs> yeah, Plato is pretty close, but uh, here's what I think is a little bit different. Is like one of my favorite lines in some translation <laughs> of like, like metaphysics. It's, just... it's like, yeah, Plato's idea of the forms is pretty cool, but what he didn't think is that the forms are inside. You know what I mean, <laughs> man? You know. Um, so one of the reasons I, I and what I really wanted to concentrate on uh, this time in this reading was the fact that something like poetics, unlike a lot of antique history, reminds me of a kind of work that could be written today. It It is like, you know, as an aesthetic critique or like a, a little treatise trying to understand a genre uh, like this, it feels very present in something that could be, you know, something like this work could be written today mm-hmm. versus I don't think, you know, anyone is going to write something like Lucretius's on the matter of things where he can prove that having sex doggy style is better because of how magnets work. Um, like it's just not going to be, I didn't realize that's why it was so good. Are you saying that we should be including magnets in the, in the activity? I mean, I'm no expert, but I can say with an expert opinion. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Just rare earth magnets. I don't care what orifice you put them in. Just have a great time. Yeah, well, I, can, I can guess where one of them goes, but but where did you? You should probably continue where. Let's with the, get out. Of here. My my second question, really quick, and this really does your third color question. things a little bit. Is what translation? Sorry, yeah. Second question. Did you read it? What did you think of it? Third one. What no, no, translation no, did you read? I don't have to. I only know poetics. Everything Fuck. else is gone from me. I yeah, that's fair. Everything's gone. You're fucking SpongeBob with the. I, I did. Know. I threw out my name. Fine After I dining said it, and it's breathing. Gone. I read the. It's a fucking audiobook version. Fuck. Uh, the the one you gave us, the Gutenberg one. I will so you, say was pretty much fucking exactly the audiobook I also had. So yeah. Wait, so did you read one. it or did you listen to the audiobook? I literally had both. I fucking followed along like a psychopath, and I oh. had the audiobook on and was reading it at the same time. And Jorge, what about you, man? Um, <laughs> it's it was like docking you, with the audio. Might make you mad, but this one definitely does not say what translation it is l-o-l uh, Any, so anywhere in there s-h butcher is the one for um Gu- project gutenberg mm-hmm. okay that's the one you read 
Yeah, this one just says, <laughs> uh, it's Poetics by Aristotle. <laughs> no other information. <laughs> wow, it's a, okay. wow, well, it's a direct copy from Aristotle. I better make sure that know, right? Aristotle is That's... spelled right, and then it's just not just like a knockoff. <laughs> no, so it doesn't Air matter. Air is total, yeah, like... <laughs> So it doesn't matter too much here. Um, I've got my favorite, um, which is actually of all things doesn't the Penguin edition. Um, and I, I think I recommended this one to you guys. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a pretty damn good translation um, for because other Penguin works they don't really like footnotes like as an editorial choice for all of Penguin. So mm-hmm. when you read something um, like ancient. Greek works that in translation that could, you know, really benefit from having a ton of <laughs> fucking nice footnotes to, to kind of, of like help out. They don't do it. But this is by Malcolm Heath. Um, okay. And I'll tell you a little story about this exact edition sometime later. But um, the reason I wanted to Saving ask Saving that really for quick, the main event. Okay. Yeah, is there are a few <laughs> translators of Aristotle. And I want to get into like some background. I want you guys to walk out of here with a rounder idea of what aristotle is today who aristotle was then and what we think of the poetic so the first thing is there are a couple of translators who are very good at aristotle there are a lot of them that just exist and like a lot of the ones that exist are usually the ones where like hold on there's a semicolon there i missed this is the end of a sentence like hold on wait a second yeah when you're really going through and someone's like just trying straight through to translate but there are some other ones that really like take the time and give a shit about putting it into english which is comprehensible malcolm heath is one of those the other one is a guy named joe Sachs. anyone who has taken a philosophy course did you did you laugh at joe don't worry about it just because it it sounds like joe sex Joe Could you laugh because Joe Sack sounds like Joe Sex? Is that what your is that what the joke that you oh, I thought? I thought it was like he used just Sack because he's got well, you know. See, he's got it's a, now a twofer. I actually started laughing when Jorge brought up that he sounded like Joe Sack. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed again a second time. I did not reuse the laugh. It was a new laugh because but, I realized something else. But uh, unlike translators that try to make Aristotle into good English, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Sacks is one of those translators who tries to make. English sound a lot more like Aristotle. So he will uh, oh. make weird compound words like being at work, staying itself, all hyphenated mm-hmm. um, as a, like a direct oh translation God. to what he thinks like the word energia comes from. Like, energia is, which is where we get our English word energy, but it's gone through a couple of different transformations Filters to, that it yeah, doesn't like... quite mean the same thing. Um, so that was my other question. And the last thing I want to talk about is Wait, what why was the question there. Uh, sorry, that what wasn't a question. Trans- just uh, oh, what we're translation? transitioning. Yeah, 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 what translation? Uh, Aristotle is hard to read in any language. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's hard to read in Greek. He's hard to read, and even if you have a good translation in English, and one of the reasons for that is that the works that we have that survive are not like what Aristotle would have been. You know, publishing doesn't really exist in the same sense, but that these but are not the works that he these are not the works that he wrote for widespread consumption. Uh, oh, okay. We know that personal uh, essays. They are uh, actually some combination of lecture notes uh, or transcriptions of like how he would have been presenting this material to students at the Lyceum. So when we have Aristotle, we have something that's meant for a philosophically minded like student audience versus like. Plato, which just wrote really theatrical dialogues yeah. that pretty much anyone can get into and we can all talk and debate about. Um, and it's funny because during his day, 
Aristotle was known as being like a really quippy and very good and accessible writer. None of that survives. No one say, thought that that was the stuff worthy of preservation. Got his so. most cluttered fucking obtuse like literature. Yeah. And we're or just like, is that great. just what his friends want you to think? And he actually did suck at writing. I mean, it's very <laughs> possible. Would, these are the like, best ones we could find out of the pile. We Everybody had was every- just like. Just like Aristotle dies, and like we have to bury this. No, I, I was to say I'd love. They have. They actually have every piece of they, all of them perfectly preserved. Everything just. Oh my fucking god! This is unreadable. Yeah, like, and they just his students have been writing fake fan mail for years yeah, like, to like soothe his ego. He dies. Wow! I loved how. Yeah, it was so readable. I really appreciate. Thanks, Aristotle. Yeah, I just like. Oh his... my fucking god! I'm gonna fail. So, oh my god! I'm never gonna pass this class. One of his students yes. picking up the top of the pile and just like Aristotle's why poop is brown and it's like we can't, we can <laughs> we never let the world it. see this. De poopia brownia. <laughs> just like oh god. Um, but yeah, that that was something, and that was something I only learned really about. Um, I knew for a long time that what we have of Aristotle is like a collection of, of various writers, the peripatetic school, which is what the like the Aristotelian school was known as, uh, okay. was very interested in preservation. They never really did a whole lot else with Aristotle's philosophy, <laughs> which is why there's never been like a neo-Aristotelian movement. It kind of gets moved into like scholasticism, which is like Middle Ages theology slash philosophy. Like that's kind of where it takes new wings and they start doing other things with it but for like thousand years people just wanted to make sure that we knew what that smarty said well that's so very pathetic see what you did there <laughs> very nice ah. that was man i'm not gonna lie i that's don't know where he's was, buried but uh hey. the ground just cracked because he rolled in his grave he, and it hadn't that's been it, that is years. that is all i have to bring to the table today <laughs> hey. get a lot of those. that was great because i like my eye kept dropping in the zoom call to him so you just see him not barely listening, just holding enough to make sure he can it. hear the I've breath when he stops it. talking because he's like, I've got this joke and I it's going to fucking land. I needed to make sure that he didn't move just, on to a different topic. He yeah. And he didn't just breathlessly brush yes. past it. So just, fuck, I can't use it. That was very good. I'm, I'm very happy. <laughs> so uh, to go through it, I think just uh-huh. a quick, like a super quick overview. Like I'm talking under a minute. We're going to blast through what what's the shape and color of this, you know, work here. Uh, and then we're going to go through it. First, first claim that art is imitation. And we'll get back to that one. One oh. of the kinds of imitation is poetry. One of the kinds of poetry is tragedy. Tragedy is made up of a couple different things. Six, in fact. The most important of them is plot. <laughs> I'm going to talk about plot for a lot time, for a long time. Almost. And then we're going to talk. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about those five other things that aren't quite as important. And then we're going to talk (laughs) about why tragedy is different from epic. And then we're going to talk about some applications of what I talked about. What now? What is missing from this is actually the end of poetics. We don't have it. Uh, We know it probably. Yeah, it kind of ends on a fart. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's just talking about. I thought it was like a whole second part on comedy, right? Yeah, what we're missing is comedy. Uh, And so a fun theory is Aristotle always saves what he considers to be the most important thing to be last. Like the very last thing in the metaphysics is the idea of the prime mover. Um, The very last thing in the physics is the idea of the revolving center of the universe, that that which is always in action and has no potential uh, in it. Um, 
So there's a theory that for whatever reason, that comedy might be something more than the scant little allusions to it that we get in it. There, it might be something that was very important to Aristotle or he just didn't want to talk about it. Or maybe that's the joke. Yeah. Oh, it, that's everything else that he wrote. That's why he always put something important at the end, and then he purposely left bait this and one switch. Out. It's now you've yeah. played with the formula, and then you've. It's moved. like it's like when you Fuck. let a bunch of farm animals loose inside of a school, and you number them one to ten, but you leave out like seven. You know, so then that, everybody's like, "Where's animal number seven? That would be an incredible form. Uh, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what? You never talked about this? What do you know? Just me. <laughs> I was going to say that would be an incredible form of recognition, but we'll get to that later. I had a complete panic attack when you just said it's like releasing farm animals into a school. Why? Why would you ever? What do you? Yeah, what classic for? What the fuck? I'm sure it comes from somewhere. I didn't. Hey, man, there's a lot of high schools in Kansas. You know, there's not a whole lot else to do apart from like loose animals. I now get what you mean in that you would never know if you fucking found. But just what the fuck kind of situation is that? Another thing they do is put cows at the top of stairs because you can get cows upstairs, but, but not you can't down. get them down. That one I that did That shit know. is so fucking funny. <laughs> that one didn't raise my heart rate in confusion. <laughs> um, so speaking of confusion. I think comedy is, I think he was actually, it was for shoot. He did think comedy was more important. <laughs> I know, right? Wouldn't that be great? He said epic um, history stupid, tragedy's okay, it's really important, and comedy is the fucking highest art, bitches. Yeah, podcasts. That's all we but, need. Absolutely. That's where we're, we're like we're gonna write day podcastia we after this. Are, <laughs> what are epic poems if not just live performed podcasts? I know. Well, point. you get um one of Check the things I atheists. like the second section after like poetry is a form of imitation. Um, he talks about and this this translation has the subheading the anthropology of art. Uh, which I really, hmm. really like the anthropology of history and poetry. And it talks about like how Aristotle assumes that tragedy began with um, like improvisations, like people acting out things uh, or, you know, and music became like you want to imitate the sounds around you. And hmm. poetry, probably epic poetry became like, well, before we have people like acting it out, I'm just going to tell you very fancifully in larger and larger bits what happened and then finally tragedy when we add a whole lot of other elements to that basic idea of relating story relating action and that's like his theory about how the arts you know developed which is not a bad idea i mean i was gonna say like it's pretty pretty fucking sober for you know like a lot of antique thought you know when yeah when i first heard about the whole imitation thing i was like that's a little sweaty but all right and then it just one with the plays and the with the tragedies and the poetry he had yes it is that's all it is now i know that we have more broader fiction and you know moved out thing but they still do imitate the human condition you know they 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 imitate things in our lives whether they're direct metaphors or not they still do it so i i concede i like the point i like the idea of it being imitation the place where i think like the everything coming from initially imitation of real life makes sense is like when people talk about how all fiction is is in some way very derivative of other fiction right Mm -hmm. like we just keep taking stories there's seven stories other stories and like we're combining them mixing them making changes that make them like worth existing still but uh It always makes me think about like, well, then what's the first story? It makes sense that we start by just telling something that happened and then you keep expanding on that until finally 
we have the B movie, you know. I know, right? When oh. we have like that utter distillation, pure artistry in 90 minutes. The B movie um, is maybe the shortest epic that exists. I'm going to touch on that one. Like, okay. We have a definition of epic. If you could fit uh, the I'm movie into leave. the definition of epic, that would be the coolest thing I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> that would be epic. <laughs> but uh, Aristotle has a point, exactly what you're saying. When he's talking about plots, he talks about one of the constituent parts of what makes a good plot is universality. I'm going to read a quick thing here. It is also clear from what has been said, which is my favorite thing. He says that so often. Like, <laughs> after what's been said, this should be perfectly clear. <laughs> That the function of a poet is not to say what has happened, but to say the kind of thing that would happen, i.e. what is possible in accordance with probability or necessity. Um, and so, you know, the historian says what did happen. And that's why he makes the point, like, if you took Herodotus and you put him in verse, it's just history in verse. It doesn't become poetry all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Because poetry, uh, and for Aristotle, that really means more like in terms of the epic and tragedy like mm-hmm. is it's discussing you know the the possibility that which makes sense and has reason that you know like plot naturally follows from what happened before the beginning is that which only kind of gives way to the middle the Yo. end is that which nothing comes afterward and the middle is that which logically follows from the beginning and logically precedes the end and like i that love is him explaining beginning middle and end i'm just like yeah, yeah motherfucker i know it's the beginning the middle and the end i'm like no, Brian, don't be mean to the fucking nerd who has to explain this. Because I, no, I know. no one's explained it before. I know. I never blame the explainer in these old timey texts. I yeah. always think about how much it sucked to not know anything. <laughs> Do I know, no right? Idea. That's it's funny on that exact part um, too, because there is something a little bit beyond just describing what mm-hmm. he logically means. Because um, necessity is something really important to aristotle uh, especially yeah. in his physics like whereas newtonian physics right first law of newtonian physics is every action has an opposite and equal reaction well aristotle's conception of physics is like uh, imagine like the newton's cradle where it swings back and forth um, imagine a whole universe where something hits and then something else moves there's no like reaction back or anything things are just beginning motion to the next thing beginning motion beyond oh. that so there is the, in order for that to happen there has to be it's only the first any any motion that happens to something is only actualizing whatever potential motion was in it. We still kind of use this language when we talk about potential versus kinetic energy. Yeah. But imagine if that was the only physical consideration you had, <laughs> like for your physics. So oh when Aristotle God. says that like the beginning is the beginning, it sort of carries that same weight. Like there is nothing of this plot that can exist before the beginning of the plot because otherwise like that would be the beginning of the plot and then you wouldn't you'd still you'd have this problem right yeah. where your plot isn't nice and contained anymore there's something else kind of spilling into it so the beginning has to be you can walk into the beginning you don't have to know anything else everything is given to you that is, is required for the plot and then so on to the middle and so on to the end and then after the end there's nothing left out that's there is a hard stop a full stop at the end of that story until the sequel comes out yeah you're right i you know and that's that's because i was gonna get to this point later we're gonna talk about the mcu with aristotle uh, but the aristotelian yeah, so, mcu would be a yeah. fucking mess so that's you sorry know, it, but you know that's the, sorry that was just another because it, it's funny because he is explaining it in the first place yeah but he is also explaining it in the context of you know, the the canon of thought that Aristotle comes mm-hmm. up with. And within that thought, 
it's all pretty consistent. You know, like, it's a nice closed circle, which is why people were obsessed with this for 1,500 years and assumed, like, well, he had to have figured it out. There's yeah, not a just... whole lot of things he doesn't account for. And, you know, of the observable facts, it works. Who knew not that wrong, boiling yeah. water freezes <laughs> faster than cold water, which is true. And we did not have a, an explanation for that until, like, atomic theory. <laughs> if we just knew that Aristotle <laughs> said it, we could demonstrate it, you know, like observably and now we finally know why do i know that reason no but i know that there is one i'm now feeling like aristotle was just a pretty smart guy who got forcibly time traveled back and so like (laughs) had a bunch like remembered a bunch of stuff but could not tell you why so he was just hitting he was like i gotta get this shit out of here before i fucking die because I can't go back to wherever I was before. So uh, this happens. This happens. I got to give these people what it is. Why? What yeah. What do you mean? I Because the molecule, the fuck, I don't know, because matter Ask exists. Your mother. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, he like, gives the first, like, <laughs> ten facts that he can think of, and he has to spend the rest of his life Just, coming uh, up with a whole new system of uh, thought to connect these ten <laughs> facts to each other. Yeah. And it's things like, I don't know, chickens probably come first. And... Cold water boils faster, and ah, uh, fuck. Does, <laughs> yes. does Aristotle say that chickens come first? Uh, yes, and the reason being is, um, where would you get the, the egg from? The last <laughs> in his in his thought, it's called teleology. Think um, of the story. The only thing, the only reason that a thing exists is to like manifest it to manifest itself. It's like to become what it is meant to be, and the final stage of the chicken is the egg. Like the last stage in that life cycle, it's a straight line. The point of the chicken is to make an egg. And then when a new chicken is born, the point of that chicken is to make an egg. So the chicken comes first in Aristotle. Like it's very weird that you can like answer it with Aristotle. It's a strange, thought. it's a weird logic, but it's fine. <clears throat> I feel like I don't know what, what chickens evolve from, but I feel like the, <laughs> Dinosaurs. First, the first, the proto chicken that laid the first egg that would have what we consider a chicken it just depends on whether you call that egg a chicken egg or a proto chicken egg that's right? true was it like a proto chicken egg shell and it's got like the chicken, chicken inside? inside that's that, yeah. that's so that would the mean the chicken but i did ruled. i did the legwork here Word. so now the scientists that's, just take it the take it home and then we that's have the not answer bad. right yeah. That's not bad, actually. I, I could I have been in Aristotle if I got sent back in time right now. <laughs> you would have been. Just... There's a great meme of that when someone goes like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow the world's mind away." You know, like when I go back with all this mm-hmm. knowledge and it's just like someone speaking in ancient Hebrew to you. Oops. Up. Like, oh, yep. Can't. Oh. Don't know that language. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right. Ah, Welcome um, to okay. the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I know, right? Where I have to spend the rest of my Rod life Sterling, trying get me to out of here. No, language. I'm not helping you. <laughs> I have gin and cigarettes to consume in copious amounts and almost at the exclusion of all other things. I can see you, but I will not help. But I'm not helping. For I am just an observer. The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. This is... Stop. What? Continue with Um, the... Because Aristotle would hate that. The first big Actually, he would love the Twilight Zone. He would love the Twilight Zone. There's no ancient Greek... I was going to say alive, but that was alive back then that would not love the Twilight Zone. It's true. I just mean for what he talked about with tragedy and yes. with his rules. but So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, plot. Because Aristotle, Aristotle spends a lot Ooh. of time with it. And the first, I think, weird claim that he makes is tragedy is not an imitation of persons, but of action, of life. And he makes the weird claim <sighs> that you can have a tragedy without characters. And then he just doesn't really explain how. <laughs> Watch any Pixar short. Oh, 
I mean, pretty they much. They all have right? character. Well, it's just like that's what his... we like about them is that they all have really easy, quick, full characters that show up in one second. Yeah. It's the reverse. Right, but it's it's funny. So I guess like, did you get, did that stick out to you guys? Was that a weird yes. claim? Um, like something like, hold on, like this isn't gonna follow. There's like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna. This is not right. Um, like it, he because it's two different claims, right? Plot's the most important because mm-hmm. uh, tragedy is about plots. It's not about characters. Um, but you, and he says kind of offhandedly, like, yeah, you could even have a tragedy without characters. And then that's where it gets sweaty for me. The, yeah, the second part was more of my issue. I mean, mostly because I, uh, operate under the philosophy of plots usually generate from your characters because they're doing something for their reason because they're the person, they're the character in it, Right. Like, they have the motivation because of who they are, and then you watch the action in a tragedy. Like, I concede that. That's no pro- no problem with him saying it's an imitation of action, because that's what it is. I mean, you're watching the interesting part, which means the actions that are taking place. But to say, I feel like it would be an incredibly fucking boring, you wouldn't get the emotions that he requires, the pity and fear of tragedy from something with no characters, because I wouldn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and <laughs> or he's think, like, no. <laughs> I think on on this issue, he talks about it in a later section, and this is the first time I've ever come up with like a like a reasonable answer to like how can he support this? Um, and I think it's because when he when he makes his first critique of character, right? Tragedies aren't about characters because a lot of things happen to people, right? And then it's not a True. unified set of things, so you can't have just like that's why like a herculeid is a bad idea or why the odyssey is not the story of odysseus it's the story of his coming home Mm -hmm. because it's not everything that happened to odysseus you don't it's not to recount to give his entire shit you know because those aren't part of the story i'd love story is him coming home and you can have a story about coming home without odysseus and if you can have it without odysseus without specific character you could probably have it without any character at all um is how i think like (laughs) yeah i what no like because ununified things happen to people and any number of things can happen to people and people can do the same things those things that people do are not dependent on people doing them you know like nobility can happen <laughs> without noble people because nobility exists you know mm-hmm. or like um something sad can happen without a person happening being sad at or like without a person doing something that makes them sad because like sad happens you know what i mean like it's 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 not dependent on any particular individual so why should it be dependent on individual at all i already know that plot is the most important thing because of like that's it's the set of actions that draw out like pity and fear yeah that's not dependent on any particular individual so if it's not on any particular individual, it might not need that individual at all. And I think that I think that's yeah. like how Aristotle is trying uh, or like totally. my, my new understanding of like how you can kind of reverse engineer a situation <laughs> in which you could even have a tragedy without characters would make sense. Yeah, I, d- I honestly didn't even bat an eyelash when it came up because they, they, all these guys always <laughs> say shit like this and it, the answer is always something like that. So I just used my my Buddhist powers of like, you know what, just don't think about it too hard. That's it. <laughs> just simply let it go. I mean, it, it, it gets the right gist. It, 
I feel like he's that gets the right jizz. He's getting the meaning that he wants to into your head in some way if you don't overthink it. So. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. It's on just that same part. No, I disagree. <laughs> full I of know. shit. In that wrong, like, His point that is, it's, it's only actions that matter to him. Yeah. Forget yeah. for a second like, that oh, you literally yeah. cannot have an action unless in something that it's is an doing that piece, action. Yeah. That's not the it, point. The point is, it only actions matter. It's really him it. saying it with a, and here, that's the bottom line, because Aristotle said so. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's not <laughs> true. That's your opinion. You thought that's what it was. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, it's dude. just it's it's a strange one, and I wanted to get that out it's of the fine, way yeah. because I didn't want it to be brought up later. Like, all right, this is all hokum. He even says you can do this without characters. No, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, but the first big question I guess wanted to ask you guys is: Aristotle makes the claim that plot is the most important thing, um, not just in tragedy, but in like poetry. And poetry, in the word from which we get poetry, is uh, like poetas. It means like poet or like literally creator or like poetry that which is created okay. a work of art in this way that he's talking about is poetry um, for all intents and purposes here um, so do we agree that plot and like and this is how I want to broaden it out like beyond just the consideration of 5th century 5th and 4th century Greek tragedy that this kind of work I think works a little bit more uh, on some broader levels than just like as a historical artifact kind of what you were talking about Jorge is just data but do we think that in storytelling plots the most important so I've, I personally have never found this question super interesting because like well, I've talked about this many times with people because you know it's usually people like prefer plot or they prefer character personally I'm very like like narrative plot is like what gets me going and it requires good characters to be able to push that plot along in any Mm -hmm. sort of effective way and whenever i've talked to anybody who prefers the characters it's always like the they require good plot to go through the proper catalyst that requires the change to make them interesting you know so it's always just like they both are in dire need of each other for the most part and anything that i really care about i think that may not be 100 percent true but like it as a general statement (laughs) uh so calling one more important than the other is, is kind of fruitless to to me personally, but per- I do prefer plot myself. Yeah, I I am of a similar mind. Um, I usually add theme in there as well. I'm pretty sure I got this triangle from some old fucking musty thing I read in fucking elementary school. Whatever. But plot, character, and theme are a pretty like symbiotic need each other sort of triangle in order to make a story. It's usually just the the thing I went with, but like. Yeah, I I see them as equally important. That's why I don't scoff when he's like, it's an imitation of action, because that's true in that it is. Like, literally what's happening is it's being imitated. But you need the other things to create all of the other. Like, pulling one of them out makes something less than. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I I would say equal. I would say it is... It is definitely important, but it's not the most important because it can't be the most important. <laughs> I think, I think, therefore I am. Jorge. Nice. Philosophy. Philosophy. You got him. Philosophized. Ergo. Ergo. Boom. Um, no, okay. um, you can, you're an idiot. Might as well Descartes him away. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, oh don't put the God. horse before the Descartes. <laughs> put the Descartes um, before the horse. Oh, the horse. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> don't put the horse before the before cart. The That's exactly what before you do. You're Descartes. supposed to. Before Descartes. 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 Rene Descartes. <laughs> <laughs> Reference to philosophy, man. Um, 
But Jorge, what you were Fuck, saying is that the way that you prefer the way that you prefer plot and like narrow i think narrative would be the word that we would use today mm. Uh, mm. more often than not especially because like the novel really is when we think of like a written medium that's kind of what our since you know since like the 18th 19th century that's really like how you write a story now mm-hmm. that's the medium and you know the first rule is something's gotta happen mm-hmm. you know it's not because you can have there's the reactions to that in which you have everything happen to one person, like a Mrs. Dalloway sort of situation. But it's specifically a reaction against what I think that gut impulse is like. We want to see events play out. And the reason totally. that events play out well is because they logically follow from one another and they are uh, like manifested by characters, which makes sense for that happening. Uh, which brings me to the second place. Aristotle describes character in a couple of different ways right the character has to be appropriate which is a term that i wanted to work through with you guys because it's a weird translation and kind of problematic most of the movies i I remember that line disagree with that um so first and foremost here are all the things that characters need they need goodness they need appropriateness they need likeness they need consistency so here's what it Here's what it means, like, for goodness. As we said earlier, speech or action will possess character if it discloses the nature of a deliberate choice. The character is good if the choice is good. This is possible in each class of person. There is such thing as a good woman, a good slave, even though one of these oh, yeah. is... And then, you know... I didn't so, like, like that part. No, <laughs> obviously, but, like, that... To, to our readership and to our eyes, and rightfully yeah. so, that's a problematic thing. But I think what it gets to and what it leads into next is appropriateness. Um... And again, not in the way that he's saying in sort of this strated civilized civilization sort of way, like there's a role that every person has to fulfill, but we want to see like whatever the character does, we want them to make a good choice for what their character is, right? Like we want it to make sense. You know, we don't want yes. the bad guy to like, we don't want Ozai to come like at the end Everywhere. of it. You know, maybe I was oh. a real asshole and I'm not going to take over the four nations at the end of Avatar. I would have Like that, that just doesn't make sense. That's not a good choice yeah, for I him to make. My mind. Yeah. Right. Even if it's like a good moral choice, it's not a <laughs> yeah, good choice for the character. It is not what character. he would. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's really what he means by yeah. goodness. Like it's got to be whatever he is. So that, like what if he's me, the what villain, mean he's got to be a good villain. No, um, Oh, you got him. No, but when when he says good, it's what we mean when we say appropriate. I'm gonna split these out in a second because okay. uh, when, okay. when he means appropriate, I think we also mean appropriate. Okay. Um, Fuck. So like, <laughs> if it's gonna be a villain, he's got to be a good villain. Like that's obviously. I think it's yeah. like a simpler thing than we think it is. Mm, if he's gonna okay. be a hero, he's got to be a good hero. Effective. No almost. one wants like a good hero is gonna be way more compelling to watch than like a shitty hero. You know what I mean? A bumbling like whatever he, whatever this character I is, mean, we dead. want it to be the best. He's great, of, or like a good. He puts version a chainsaw on his hand. And he cuts people in half. Yeah, like if he's a goof, <laughs> he's we great. want him to be like good at being goofy. If he's, you know, the uh, heroic but kind of dumb, we want him to be heroic, An absolute and dumb. Himbo. We don't yeah. want him to do things that are counter to that because then it kind of dilutes what our idea of this character. We want right. it, whatever this character is, we want it to be a good version of that mm-hmm. well now it sounds like you're talking about consistency for a second but no i, I think i get what you're saying no, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah because the second one is appropriate so like in terms of the character choices that characters make we want them to be appropriate to whatever that character is right we want a thief to make choices that are good for thievery 
we want like a, we want a hero to make heroic choices, mm-hmm. right? That's just like that would be what is appropriate for that kind of character sure. to make. Um, third is likeness, and this one bugs the shit out of me because this is where we have to use our super imaginations. Because all Aristotle says is this is not the same as making character good and appropriate, as has already been stated. Is that re- is that really it? That's Whoa, why I don't remember. Like, thing. hold on a second. <laughs> know, that's right. That's why it's like not there. And this is why it's important to have <laughs> backups what of your documents. It's important. No, it's why it's important to have footnotes so that we can get this excellent footnote that I wanted to share with you boys today. Thank you. The reference is obscure. Aristotle probably means like us. You know, the precondition of fear. See introduction. If you go to the introduction, it sort of rabbit holes down. <laughs> we don't actually know where this one comes from. We don't, we don't know where he's stating it. We don't, was we don't know most, what he's referencing. That was the most shoulder shrug of a footnote I've ever heard. Just, ah, he's something, man. He's got to be talking about something. Yeah, like I've never read a footnote and like, been entirely convinced like, oh, no, right now, me and my body, I could write that. Like, yeah, the yeah. reference is <laughs> obscure. That no, really the no. the author of that footnote looked up at us when we looked up from reading in a spiritual <laughs> moment, and we just went, "Huh?" And then went, "Yeah, I don't fucking know." Uh, man. Uh, <laughs> don't look at me, I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I like, like it's very like I didn't. I just translated it, dude. Fuck, I don't know. What to tell you. Yeah, right. But we, I think, I think his little suggestion that we want characters to be like us and like us, meaning that they have like a a range of emotion. They feel fear. They feel accomplishment when they achieve they feel disappointment when they lose you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there's a likeness relatable i think it goes more to more ontological like we want it to we want a character to be the way that people are every time you say ontological i cannot stop thinking it's the study of birds (laughs) (laughs) or mythology Um, God, I got to get you into like uh, Jacques Derrida who talks about hauntology, um, which is, is a cool, it's just a cool word. Sounds awesome. Um, Sounds like a bargain bin horror movie. I know. Right? Anyway, and then the last thing that makes a good character is consistency. Mm-hmm. Even if the subject of imitation is inconsistent and that is the kind of character that is presupposed, it should nevertheless be consistently inconsistent. Yeah, I like that one. That's good. Yeah. We want a character to yeah if the character is a shyster we want them to be shystery if we want a liar single time (laughs) and i think that differentiates itself from good or like the appropriateness argument because we want um we want a character that's a liar to make decisions that are appropriate to a liar and then consistently we want him to make those decisions each time you know what i mean like if he's um like a good character. Let's do the thief. That's an easy one for me. We want the character. If he's a thief, we want him to be good at being a thief. Otherwise, it's less compelling because why would you we watch want him to be good? Dork who sucks at this. Yeah. Yeah. Or if he's a bad thief, we want him to be really good at being a bad thief. Like we want that to be like <laughs> yes. a good presentation of that character. Appropriate. Whatever he- this character is good at, we want them 
to be we want them to do that we want it to make sense if he's a thief but also is like a priest on the side now it is a little more complicated because we didn't know he did priestly things because i thought this was a thief so if we have a thief and he does thiefly things we want him to not only be those things but also a human being who's a thief and does thiefly things and lastly <laughs> we want it to be consistently a thief that does thiefly things that feels that has heart and realistic emotions mm-hmm. and we want it like that consistently. Totally. Does that sound like a, like a, to me, that sounds like a description of just what a good character. I was going to say it's the, the, the thing about reading this is it's very like, yes, I would like my story to make sense or yes, I would like my character to be a character for, for us. I mean, going back, it is like, You'd think actually it is super obvious and apparent and like duh this it's like explaining. There's a point where he explains what letters and nouns and all that shit is anyway, and I'm like, yeah, yes, we're not going to talk about that. Keenly aware of <laughs> yeah, but like that's that's what I'm saying is like, yes, it, this all makes complete sense because we've seen hundreds of years of examples of it now, you know, solidifying it into what it is. So. Totally. It just seems a little basic sometimes, but See, it I makes would, sense. I would say the opposite. I feel like because of like <laughs> he's works off of such a relatively small canon compared to all of the oh, works like that we have access to, to <laughs> right? Like I for all I know, like his definitions completely encompass every single character and every single play that he's ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um now we have such bizarre avant-garde shit like we can poke holes all over the place, right? But it's also a completely different medium we're talking about. So uh, I just have like no no way with which to debate any of this because he's talking about something that I'm not familiar <laughs> with and like all the knowledge I have is not applicable to argue but with him here. The the thing I, I I think I'm talking more in a baseline I guess because a lot of things are or a lot of stuff I notice is you know somebody understand a lot of avant garde or new stuff is a lot of people actively understanding the rules in quotes or like the basics of something and then purposely changing it to create another piece of art or do something in a different way. So when I say every character, I don't mean that in the sense of like every character is that, but like this is like a baseline. I think if you look at any generic piece of thing, like any sort of rote mainstream art, you would see all of this in there in some way, shape or form like talking about what it means to make an effective character and that sort of thing. Um, I do agree that, yeah, like he had, he had like 14 things to work with and he's a big, I only know a few of the things he's referencing. So it's like anytime he brings up Oedipus or Oedipus, I'm just like, yes, I got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Makes complete sense. Great. And I then like any, if a Janiya comes up and I'm like, I got nothing for you, my man. I'm so sorry. I now don't understand your reference. And I completely lost this concept because I don't know the real world equivalent. <laughs> It also, it, it bugs the shit out of me because he talks about two different Iphigenias. Sophocles' yeah. is Iphigenia, and then I forget who, uh, maybe Uschkolos is, but so, some Probably. other playwright's Iphigenia, because he goes like, yeah, this one's bad, unlike Sophocles, which does like, a really what? good job <laughs> at, like, you know, the reversal that happens in that one because of the way that it's, like, a character, it's a series of events that make the reversal happen and not, like, a character remembering something yeah. all of a sudden. And But I, that was something um, that I thought really rang true Despite and Hori, I think you've got a valid critique. Like you know, we there are a lot yeah. more different forms of storytelling than he was necessarily working with. But I do think that this document, uh, like the the text of Poetics, still like interacts 
with storytelling in a pretty important way. Like he talks about um, in when he talks about a reversal, there are four ways that like fate changes. Oh, sorry. Um, recognition. There are four ways that people un- like come to some new understanding in a plot. Like when someone learns something, there's four ways that it happens. One is that it's entirely like he goes from the worst to the best, right? The worst <laughs> oh, yeah. One, I love that. <laughs> yeah. The worst one. Uh, oh, God. I don't, I don't know where it is. How but embarrassing. But the worst one is like it just happens for no reason. Like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Uh, now I know a new thing. Da-da. And that's, you know, we can tell that that's really not Bullshit. satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Um, another missatisfying one that I've always had trouble with is when someone suddenly remembers that detail at the last moment, like I'm calling out every single moment of psych or any other USA TV detective show where suddenly what? like, Oh wait, I remember now I can solve the case. Like, well, wait, if you remember now, why didn't you remember the whole goddamn time? This is like, it bugs <laughs> See, the I feel like that happens in anime all the time and it's always it awesome. Does. It, it does. And, but I think what's even more satisfying is when agree, you kind of see, uh, you see all the, the plots happening together. And then like in that moment, like, Oh wait, this person had to be here at this mm-hmm. moment. So they cross mm. paths at this person at this moment and seeing that cross. Another thing that happens yeah. in anime a lot when you're running and then suddenly like the and the eyes cross like it makes sense for these two characters to be here to have this moment to have this like new amount of information and it made sense in the context of the plot super satisfying like oh right that had to happen mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know man I, I don't think aristotle ever ever, ever foresaw goku going super saiyan by simply screaming after his friend was killed I really love the idea. Although maybe that's actually a pretty good recognition of just, oh, my friend died, so I'm really mad. So I'm going to be stronger now. I absolutely want to just write day anime uh, because it is very close to day anima, which is like the, the, the classic title of On the Soul. It's the Latin name for it that's usually used. Um, all right. And then what are the, the good... The... Anyway... You said there were four, and we got to two, and then we went, ah, fuck it. Oh, no. One was, like, uh, remember, uh, contrived, remembering it uh, mm-hmm. out, out, out of nowhere, and then the last one, I forget what the third one is, but the, the last like one plot. is uh, plot. <laughs> plot that, you know, like, something that makes sense in terms of how the story goes, it happens. Okay. Like Aristotle, yeah. You know, Through like, the course of the events, it is a, yeah. ascertained sort of thing. It makes a whole lot of sense for Oedipus to try to get some information, about, like to confirm or deny his fears about his possible relationship to Yocasta, his mother. So he calls a scout, someone that he knows that he finds out was, you know, both there when Laestes, the old king, put a child on the the mount thinking that it was going to be his son who would kill him and sleep with his mother so he finds the scout and the scout has the information finally like i know that you can show that i am not my mother's son because you were there and you can put a stop to this nonsense what oops what what fuck and then like that's why it's a good plot because it makes sense for him like that's a logical person to find out like Fuck it. Let's just find someone who was there. We can put all this to bed right now. Mm-hmm. Like, Talk who was the there? You? You were there? You can tell me that it didn't. It did? It did? Oh, fuck. Um, Stop saying fuck with the whole Oedipus thing. I don't like it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Conjures bad imagery. And that's the point. That <laughs> you know? um, is true. The, the I love that he's thing. like, I love that he's like, tragedy is meant to inspire pity and fear. Pity? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. Like, it's true. But just 
<laughs> and he, when he talked about other aspects of character that we didn't talk about here, like the reason that we want to see good men fail is because that what is it makes us feel the most pity and it inspires the most fear. Because like if it can yeah. happen to good people, you know it's gonna. <laughs> He's happen making horror to films. You, yeah. He was making horror um, plays. <laughs> so we talked about the thing about plot I wanted to talk about. Uh, we talked about how what like what makes a good character for Aristotle. The last thing that I really wanted to talk about uh, is a very open-ended one. Um, wanted to get your opinion on it. And it's on catharsis. Um, people make a big deal of catharsis like in the poetics um, and in general, like in art generally. Like we want things to be cathartic. We want things to evoke that particular emotion uh we want them to um like really make us feel like we we can put that emotion away now i felt all the fear and Mm -hmm. we go away problem is he only mentions the word once in the entire poetics Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a throwaway line so it it (laughs) it gets really hard (laughs) to find a nickel for every time i heard that one i know right it's wait it's in the fourth (laughs) section Um, tragedy is an imitation of an action that is admirable, complete, and possesses magnitude. In language made pleasurable, each of its species separated into different parts, performed by actors, though not through narration, affecting, (laughs) through pity and fear, the purification, catharsis, of such emotions. That's it. It's the only time he mentions it. And we fill out that whole definition of tragedy over the course of the rest of this work, that Mm -hmm. it's the imitation of an action, uh, it is through language with people performing the parts. It's not narrated. That's not where the action happens. And it affects pity and fear. Like that's just all six of the things like gone through. That's Put together what it is. succinctly. Yeah. yeah. And then affecting through pity and fear, the purification. And I don't know. I love, I love to just see what people think that means. Sorry. Like, uh, what does it mean to be purified of an emotion? Mm set on fire no um to be purified of an emotion what does that mean <laughs> mitosis <laughs> is somebody help in me. this essay 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 jesus christ yeah, i in guess this essay, like, i will um it it for me i mean it is kind of what you're talking about of and i i think it it's for me what makes other you know art and things so even better is when they don't let you go out of the emotion but like that sort of it is a release it is a climax yet the climax of the thing i'm making gestures like you know climax sort of what is that max Um, that is it rising above me like boiling hot lava (laughs) it's called an erection erection. um but i mean that it's sort of this just like the purest form of the emotions they're trying to get to you which are pity and fear for uh tragedy or just like them at their highest point so much so that you are basically like spent after there's none left to have because the tragedy has put them all there and then it's gone because the action is fulfilled so for you purifying means to like be free of that emotion right like you experience it enough so you can like put it away yeah i I think so you've, you've you've like emptied the tank of pity and fear but it's important to feel those but we don't want to. And feel the whole gimmick is that. Time. And the whole gimmick is that you've spent the entire tragedy or like building up that amount. Like the idea for the setups is that it is to incite pity and fear, and then it is the 
absolute zenith of it is the climax or the end of the film. And that's where your catharsis comes because now that it is over, it's over. The emotion is over. It is done. It has been resolved in one way or another. And it's, yeah. you leave with it, presumably. I, I like that. And I've heard that before. And I, I want to think about the image of like purifying water, right? Because um, oh. when you purify water, the water is still there. You're just taking all the stuff out of it. You've made you've yeah. made something contaminated, and you've made it good. Um, so I, I've always I, I don't know. And this time reading it, can we also read like the purifying of emotion is like pity and fear can be terrible things. Um, pity can make people do incredibly misguided things, and fear can like rob us of our senses and stop us in our tracks. But is there a way to purify? those emotions and rather than those things being exclusively negative they become very positive things for you in that moment you're not releasing them you're encountering them in a different way uh, in a way that makes them hmm. not negative but positive is that is that does that sound like a reasonable reading we could take of like what it means to purify an emotion i mean i think it i think it if it if you can make it make rational se- sense then i think it is a fair reading to take of it because i think like we the language barrier between English and Greek is like so, so wide that some of these things is like, yeah, they could be read, read uh, many different ways. Um, so I think, I think they both make sense for me. Like the, the repetition of the word purifying to me just starts making me think about like the, the purification of like the emotions that tragedy wants to instill. So mm-hmm. um, the, the point of the play being like creating a story that does a very good job of getting you like pure pity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I like that too. That like uh, almost like distillation, and I, I agree on that note of uh, like the, there's a language barrier. My my hope has always been that if you can understand the content enough, and when you try to make these readings, as long as the reading is not based purely on like some sort of manipulation of English words to make it make sense, mm-hmm. but if you're trying to interrogate, you know, like what is the we chose the word purify it's a translated word. It's not necessarily perfect. What aspect of that English word are we trying to like put on to catharsis here? Yeah. So that, that was my, like what understanding of that choice of word makes the most sense mm-hmm. in terms of the work. And that's like, that's, that's what, uh, what I usually ask. Cause I also don't like mm-hmm. it when someone says like, well, you know, the, the word they translated comes from this other word, which really means like, no, you know, you're arguing about words. We're not trying to get to an understanding of like the thought that's kind of behind these things. I I will say the thing to your point on it. And this is just the immediate reaction I had was I immediately thought of horror films when Mm -hmm. you said that in terms of putting things in a different context of like horror movies allow us the terror and horror of, the incident that is happening without the consequences of it happening. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of taking those emotions in a, I don't want to say good, but like a palatable way where we can experience them for free without the cost of our arm getting ripped off or our head being yeah. severed from our body. Um, They've been called adult fairy tales. For, they, they serve, they serve the, the purpose that fairy tales do for children for, for us. Yeah. You know? But that's when you said purify in that regard, uh, Taylor, when it's like you make something, you make this emotion something good. That's the similar vibe I got. I know it's not a one to one thing, yeah. but like that idea of you can have it in a new way that isn't. It's not your pity and fear that you're suffering any. Like you're not going, oh my god, my wife is dead. It's yeah, oh that guy's wife's dead. <laughs> 
but it's all well, it's, fake, so it doesn't matter. Like, so it's okay. Or like with uh, his Oedipus example, yeah. um, it's like it's an it was probably an incredibly instructive thing for Oedipus to understand <laughs> the moment that he realized that he had killed his father and slept with his mother. He, he learned, learned a, a lesson, a whole lot about himself in that exact moment. Wouldn't it be great if we could learn about ourselves that way without having to kill our fathers yeah, and sleep exactly, with yes. our mothers? What Thank if God. we invent tragedy? <laughs> you know, so like totally. a way to voyeuristically almost. Um, and I think like all three meanings that we've kind of worked with work with this. You totally. Know? So you you get to We're experience really that motion, a pure version <laughs> of it, like Jorge said, because it's it's literally designed you know you you take out every other condition like it's not about how you're feeling today or whatever else is informing your day like you know you're in this designed experience to evoke this like the purest form of pity and fear and you turn that pity and fear into something that like you can encounter in a safe in a safe way you Mm -hmm. know like it because you again you don't have to sleep with your mother oh god (laughs) the biggest horror of them all is to be in a safe way and everyone knows that (laughs) The worst thing that ever happened to Oedipus was having sex with his mother in, in a, a safe way. way. <laughs> that was truly the lowest that moment was, they that had. Was where he knew he had done it before and it wasn't even that yeah. bad. And then they did that and he went, you're my mother and I hate this now. <laughs> so you, you feel like an isolated, a pure, like a distilled version yes. of pity and fear. You feel it in a way <sighs> that is like really good for you. Like you're getting all the learning parts without having to do like the disastrous, monstrous thing that often make you pitiable and feared. Um, and lastly, when you're done with that, you can kind of be free from this. You don't have mm-hmm. to have the same lingering trauma as if you were actually in the conjuring or whatever you got to experience the same fear that the characters or whatever like it's the conjuring yeah the conjuring oh fuck (laughs) no that many people find that movie very scary i I don't i was just being shit (laughs) but like when you're done with it like you don't have to live with uh, the same thing that like someone in that situation would have to live with so i think I feel like purify is a really nice word for that because even in English, like it carries all of those meanings. And I think all three kind of apply in the context of the poetics. I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? I think we were all right and we're very smart and better than Aristotle. So yes, absolutely. Oh, well, sorry. The same because he uses the word, he put it there. So I think we're just as smart as Aristotle. Yeah. We just defined it for him. That's all. We really, we, we fleshed it out. He was, he was the building blocks and we kind of put our own thing on it. (laughs) Word. And then the fucking um... nerd Homer Mark who fucking hates all this other (laughs) stupid shit. Stupid idiot. He loves Homer. He loves Homer so much. Oh my fucking God. He's such a fan of Homer. We're still talking about it. Good. I know. Um, it's just hilarious how in it he is like, you know, there's some stupid shit you can do with epics. And Homer kind of does some of this stupid shit, but like he's so good that it doesn't actually matter that he's he did this stupid shit. So he good, guys. Like, there's one of the things at the end where he's talking about critique and he's just like, yeah, there's this totally justifiable error or non-justifiable error that you can do. Homer does it in the Odyssey, but it's sick. So nobody gives a <laughs> shit. And I'm like, yes, you're yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah. It's, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's good. Um which means he also yeah, just believes in the idea of that movies can or plays can be good and they can also be awesome. Yes. Yeah. 
and I like that Aristotle like clearly says like the only don't get me let's let's break it down to brass tacks. There are bad plays. Yeah, I'm exactly. Gonna, I'm He's gonna, like, without hesitation, name some bad plays, and it's not because I have come up with this system and according to my system they're bad. <laughs> Them being bad taught me what good exactly. plays are. Like I, and they're also like you know yeah there are good plays, but let me let's let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> There are some fucking masterpieces some, out yeah. there. Yeah. I peed my little boy Togo when I found out that Oedipus was actually his mother's son. Didn't see that shit coming. And I knew the story ahead of time, but like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I knew it already. I mean, that one that one's a real shocker even in our times. Like, Yeah. You don't go, you don't go into you a, a movie expecting that. Yeah, right? God damn, that shit's still faux pas. Like, Sophocles just like, no, no, no. I'm going to push this envelope. <laughs> It's going to be 2,500 years until someone pushes it this far I'm going to scar everyone with this shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like uh, he makes that well distinction um, between story and plot. We mm-hmm. all know the story of Oedipus, but the plot of Oedipus Rex only exists in the Sophocles play, right? Yeah, it's a specific uh, plot. That's like it's the way that that plot that Sophocles writes works that makes it such an effective um, like moment. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, two people can write the same story and one of them might be better than the other. And the reason that it's better, according it's to Aristotle, one of them was Homer. would be like, one of them is Homer. <laughs> and I'm sorry, brass tacks, you're not going to win it. But, like, you know, it's not about how good your story is. It's about how good your plot is. And I, I think about that a lot. Because um, it's the story of, uh, to give his example, the Iliad, right, is the entire Trojan War. Um, a lot going on. Well, yeah, you know, there's all this shit going on before the events of the Iliad, after the events of the Iliad. We don't even see the end of the Trojan War in the Iliad. The plot of the Iliad is like what it indicates in the first line. Like, sing me the rage of Peleus' son Achilles. That's it. That is what the entire fucking Iliad is about, is how goddamn mad Agamemnon made Achilles. <laughs> and then, like, how goddamn mad Hector made Achilles. <laughs> And how goddamn mad that river made Achilles. <laughs> like, that is the story of the goddamn Iliad. And that's what makes it badass. And I can't help but say, you're right. <laughs> like, yeah, it feels pretty good to me. <laughs> but I, I know. And, and to come back, who finally, Jorge, to what you said in the beginning, um, that not knowing a whole lot about tragedy does make this work kind of inaccessible. Um, in so if you are to think of it as like a historical artifact and just a aesthetic critique of this one type of art, but I do feel like some of the things that Aristotle plays with, um, the way that plot is constructed, the way that good character is constructed, um, the way that like emotion works when you cry over a book or when you you know cry at the end of the time traveler's wife or whatever. Um, I feel like he is, you know, it's, it's touching. Okay. Um, (laughs) you, I feel like he is putting his finger a little bit on something that's like, yeah, this is, this is part of art. It's not the most important thing, but I feel like it's definitely there, you know, in all storytelling. So I, I wonder like at the end of this conversation, do you think that knowing a little bit more about the poetics, can open up like how we think of other types of storytelling yeah sure i mean like uh it it's just it's the same kind of conversation that 
many of us have had when we just start to ruminate on the nature of of plot and, and narrative and character and story you know like um i think it's absolutely valuable much in the way that like lots of other people's opinions are valuable on the stuff like I, I don't think it's all encompassing exact or like exactly perfect or anything but like i mean how how really how is it supposed to be you know like there is no chance <laughs> um, yeah and I, I do think the the work however is very accessible i did not have mm-hmm. the the trouble reading it that y'all mentioned maybe it was that the audiobook was just narrated well but it like i always get caught like up a pretty in easy like, read to me i always just get caught up in the amount of commas and like yeah. putting in the syntax that's just that's me what I'm thinking, like going like the, yeah because i do too i think it like the cadence of the person saying it helps like since they probably like knew how to say it correctly, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes it more um, palatable yeah. for sure. They already read it, you know, six times. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I know I what he's going for here. I, I can intone this right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think this is this should be required reading for anybody who wants to write or make a movie or play or something. If for nothing to go, here is the start. Of stuff like just to understand where a lot of things that we have come from or are based on our ideas of, because obviously you should break all these rules to make something good. That's what you do with most rules in art is to go, hey, oh, I get your logic on that. I'm gonna completely fucking change this and make something so much fucking better than you did. Um, that's good, but you should know what it is. That's you, the people who break the rules the best usually the ones who know them the most. Um, uh, Aristotle always seemed to have his hand on the elephant sort of thing like he always seemed to be aware of a lot of stuff and had a lot of ideas about it just hmm this is a very big this is bigger than i think it is and it's gray and it's got thick legs and it's like wow you got a lot of the elephant already like i'm amazed you did and he's like and it's definitely got a four heads and you're like well that was okay <laughs> there we go you, yeah. you're you're getting you're almost there with a lot of stuff um but i yeah. think honestly I like for the like effort alone metaphor. of getting that much right or mm-hmm. getting that much accurate about certain things is impressive enough to go, I should give this a look. For example, Shakespeare has exactly one play that follows like a unity of plot, and it's just the comedy of errors. <laughs> yeah, that famous chestnut <laughs> that everyone's read and seen. The rest of Eris, uh, rest of Shakespeare's plots, like, absolutely. No, like, Hamlet takes place over weirdly 30 years because he's a student at the end of it, but yeah, at the beginning of it, but he's then, like, on his way to be the king of Denmark at the end of it. So like he doesn't Shakespeare doesn't give a shit about yeah. the rules so much um, or at least like an, a strict adherence to them. And I agree with what you said, Jorge, that, you know, as much as anyone else's opinion when we ruminate on plot and um, character, I think it is valuable in that way. But I also think it's valuable because people take stock in it and it has informed like what the discipline of writing is to a certain point, whether or not it's breaking the rules or following the rules he wrote the rules yeah, um that's, so that's like, totally fair i think yeah so I, I i think i also think it's an eye-opening piece of work um because it shows an, a third way and it does it's a way that is not talked about in the work at all but it shows a third way that people can enjoy art right um the way you know you can enjoy art because you just like it um you can enjoy art because you create it you can enjoy art because you want to understand it Um, And Mm. I think that what this is, what the poetics really is at its base is the attempt of someone who 
as f- so far as we know, was not poetically gifted, um, even if they were like a fluent and popular writer. Uh, but there's no tragedy that Aristotle ever wrote, you know. Um, it's a way for someone who has the power to understand a world around them. And that's the way that they derive pleasure from it. And that fits in really well with how Aristotle sees the human being is that the most basic pleasure is the pleasure to learn. Any new experience is a pleasure of learning anything like any, I, I don't know, man, in terms I've, of, I've had, sex. I know, but like, I don't, I know, I know. like, <laughs> Come on, but it's like the most <laughs> fundamental. You don't learn a little bit every time that's, you have you sex. Know what? You're not doing sex. it. Right. I know. Fair. You. You. That's fair. You're. And Aristotle would say because you can learn without having sex. Damn it. But you can't have sex without learning. Good. Learning. All right. Is the real pleasure. All right. Checkmate. Check out. Damn, right. dude. Yeah. He checkmate the fuck out of you. That's good. That's good. That's good. He bodied me. That was good. But I think it's 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 a really it's a work that really opens you up if you have any interest in understanding a canon of thought which dominated a big part of the world for a very long time. You you get to see a lot more of Aristotle. Like, when you read other stuff, you can always come back to this work and, like, wait, this means a whole lot more, not only as an understanding of art, but as, like, a little depiction of someone who just desperately wants to understand. Mm-hmm. And that's the drive. And so, I yeah, I like that third way that it opens up art. That it's okay if you're not particularly artistic and you don't like to just sit and enjoy stuff, but if the way that you want to like enjoy art is by dissecting it and figuring it out and putting pieces together, that's a perfectly valid way to enjoy art. Totally. Aristotle did it. You can too. Cool. Hell yeah. So on, on the subject of the poetics, how are your friends? I was pretty easily going to say yeah, actually. Yeah, I was, I'm going to go with a yes. This is an easy breezy. Yeah. As For a philosophy one, I can't believe it was so easy breezy. <laughs> oh, and I learned what it was. Like, I just have to do way more prep at a time. <laughs> I mean, this I wrote, this one was actually, like, pretty clean, pretty neat. Yeah. Like, he just kind of went right to it. What he was saying was, like, not... He didn't say so many things that it was, like, easy to trip up on him. It was, like, it's kind of hard to argue with this, man. Like, this just kind of makes sense. I can be a shitbird and, like, find examples to break each one of these but that's not really like in good spirit of of what yeah, uh, kind of i mean that's actually more in spirit than going this is unwieldy and i hate this it's yeah he's wrong about this this and that <laughs> yeah but yeah like, i get what you mean i know what you the, mean. Yeah. Like, the experience of reading aristotle uh, was once described to me it's like the only way to do it is to simultaneously be reading Aristotle and have read all of Aristotle at the same time. <laughs> you you have to have that discovery while impossibly knowing everything that he's already being about aware of in his whole canon. Like that would be ideal, but you know we Sick. can't do that, so we have to just keep thinking about it. Okay, for the next twenty five hundred years. <laughs> all right, I'm going to do more philosophy episodes. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. If you like this sort of conversation and you want to hear more of it, you should check out our podcast, the one that you're listening to right now. It's called Are We Friends? It's about three boys who've known each they other for know, 10 years and you, go through their interests one at a time. What? You should check it out every I Tuesday. I swear on my mind. <laughs> Monday night. It comes out on Monday nights and you're listening to it right now. We're you can in. find our pluggables for that. Our Twitter and Instagram are both at underscore are we friends all one word and we also have a website for this podcast the one that you're listening to right now at r-we-friends.com 
We also have another podcast, which is called Outlaws and Old Ones, which is based on a live show. That live show happens every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash the Outlaws Network. It is an entirely improvised tabletop RPG, meaning that we don't know where the story is going when we go in, and we hardly know where the story is going when we go out. Um, It's a real fun time. Check it out. A lot of audience engagement, and we turn that pod, we turn that show into a podcast, uh, cut into the style of a radio drama, also called Outlaws and Old Ones. New episodes of that come out every Tuesday at 5 a.m., except for this Tuesday, but because we just hit our mid-season. But you have a bunch of opportunity fun. to listen to all the other ones while there's no episode this week. So catch up now, catch up, or I hate you. I don't know what else I was gonna <laughs> say about that. Like I just don't want to know you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Get to the end. <laughs> you can also check out our sister podcast, which is called Downtime with John and Emily, starring John Downey and oh Emily Downey. God, do we have too much content, you guys? Hey, how Get Downey.com. Get Downey.com. Downey siblings and all their stuff. It's a lot of fun. They have a new musical Swear guest every week. And that was it. And now we have a segment. What? <laughs> no, we don't. We have a quick segment. No, we don't. I wanted to tell you guys about hey, a thing. That guess what? To me. We don't. <laughs> guess what? We don't. Um, I have been your Coco. <laughs> I'll save it. I'll save it for next time. Swear to God. I have been your... Care reasoning, reasoning, consistent character, Taylor. I have been your probable improp- impossibility, Brian. And I'm still just for it. We will talk to you 2,500 years from today next week. Aristotle, a treatise on why poop is brown. In this essay, I will 